Mastermind.fm is proudly sponsored by LiquidWeb. While LiquidWeb has been best known as a managed hosting company with tons of options, it's also designed a managed WordPress offering that is perfect for mission-critical sites. If you're looking for improved performance, maximized uptime, and incredible support, LiquidWeb is the partner you've been waiting for. Now with Visual Compare, at first in the managed WordPress space, automatically updates your plugins. Each night we take a snapshot and visually compare the difference between each plugin. If there's no visual difference, we update the plugin for you. If there is a visual difference, we hold off updating that plugin and wait for your direction. Every Liquid Web managed WordPress customer also has iTheme Sync integrated into their management portal, allowing them to update several sites with a single touch. And if you sign up today using the discount code MASTERMIND33, you'll get 33% off for the next six months. Visit liquidweb.com forward slash managed WordPress to get started. Welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm with your hosts, Jean Galea of WP Mayor and WP RSS Aggregator, and myself, James Laws of Adventures in Businessing and Ninja Forms. In each episode, we strive to cover the topics that you, the WordPress business owner and entrepreneur, need to take your business to the next level, and the tools that you need to grow as an individual. Grab your favorite beverage and a pen and paper, sit back, and let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. We're recording this just after I've come back from WordCamp Europe, and that's where I had the chance to meet Alex Prakshat, who's a blockchain expert. I've known Alex for quite some time, but uh, we had the chance to catch up at WordCamp Europe, and obviously I, I took the chance to invite him on this podcast to share his knowledge about the blockchain and its applications. So, Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, Jean. Thank you for inviting me. So to start things off, uh, can you share with our audience like some background about who you are and what you do and all the fun stuff? Yeah. Well, I've been involved in the Bitcoin space since 2012. And initially, this was just a hobby. And I started going to conferences and got more excited about it every day. And then the first thing I did in the Bitcoin space was publishing a, a graphic novel about Bitcoin, which became quite famous in the Bitcoin space, which is called Bitcoin, The Hunt for Satoshi Nakamoto, and was published in English and Spanish and paper and digital. And then after some time, I really decided to work full time on the blockchain space. Initially, it was only Bitcoin, so I worked with different Bitcoin startups. And now in the last two years, I've been mainly working a lot on the global blockchain space, So, which, as you know, Global blockchain space is kind of umbrella name because it doesn't really mean anything concrete, but we can talk more about that later. And also this year we published in Spain something that has become a huge success, which is um, blockchain, the industrial revolution of the internet. And it was the top 10 selling book um, of all Amazon books in Spain for 10 days. And it made it all the way to number three. So this has been a really big success and it's having a lot, a lot of impact in Spain, at least in Latin America and the business community and, and people in general that are interested in blockchain and want to learn about how this influences their, their life. And this is a little bit my trajectory. And then, of course, as you know, I also work with pixelrockstar.com, which is a WordPress plugin and to search and download legal and easy photos in three seconds for, for WordPress when we have a 4 million database. And that's um, one thing that I love because I love open source projects. And so I spend most of my time in WordPress and blockchain. 
Excellent. Congratulations on the success of the ebook. I know we, is it an ebook or a physical book too? It's, it's both. It's a physical book. You can buy it at least in, in Spain, anywhere in, in all bookshops in Spain. And um, then of course, Amazon and you have Kindle and stuff like that also. Yeah. This is the book you mentioned back when we met in WordCamp Madrid, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. But when we met in WordCamp Madrid, it wasn't published yet. We were like doing the we were, I think there were like two weeks before before it would be published now. Since then, it has been published mm-hmm. and it has really exceeded all all expectations from anyone about what this would achieve. But we printed like 2,500 books. I mean, like the publisher, which is the biggest publisher in Spain, and it's called Planeta. And they published 2,500 books and then they ran out of that edition. And 10 days later, they published a second edition with another 1,000 books. And just to give you perspective on that, I mean, like big success in the Spanish market is when you sell around 5,000 books. But that's a super bestseller and like for a niche business kind of book. So, and this is, has been really all over the place. So yeah, everyone is really happy about this because I mean, our objective really is to make Spain a blockchain hub in the world, which is not an easy task because you know that Spain in general is not like super innovation friendly, but we think we have a lot of talent and capital to make that happen and that it just needs a little bit of organization. So. I really hope we will be able to kick this off. And we're doing some other initiatives right now, which is called Blockchain España, which is kind of an umbrella brand where we try really to organize the overall Spanish and blockchain community and to push it forward. Yeah, I read the report this week that Spain is one of the top countries in, for fintech in Europe, like one of the top five at least, which is something very encouraging, you know, given Spain's turbulent past. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't see that report, but I think countries like Spain, if you really want to make it to the next wave of growth and employment and wealth, and we need to take up these opportunities, you know, I mean, like all countries in the world, but I think, you know, there are reference countries like Singapore or Japan or China, you know, where you really see like a strong collaboration between the governments, the regulators and the corporates and the startups and where they just don't compete between themselves. They really see themselves as a unit. And say, well, look, I mean, there's a big cake we can pick from here. Let's work together and make our country really strong in this. And and these countries I just mentioned, I think they do this really well. And if you take countries like the UK, you know, they really want to keep up having the kind of uh, oligopolistic position in the financial markets in the world. And they're a little bit afraid of what will happen after Brexit. So they really invest into these kind of things because they know what they need to do as a country, what it means for the countries, for, for the population and for the whole economy. So I think countries like Spain or maybe Southern European countries, they can learn a little bit from these approaches to create wealth in the future. So I'm guessing all our listeners are wondering why all this talk about Spain, but there's no <laughs> Spanish accent here. <laughs> yeah, I have a German accent, I know. <laughs> well, I'm a mix. I'm a Spanish-German guy, but I went to the German school in Spain. And funny enough, my English teacher was a German. <laughs> so <laughs> so I come from southern Spain. I went to the German school in Malaga. And in the German foreign schools that, that are supported by the German government, all the teachers come from Germany, including, funny enough, the English teachers, the French teachers, which is absurd. But this is like the typical administration laws that, you know, that the education system have mm. that you need to be a certified German teacher to be able to teach English in Germany. 
So and then of course you end up only with Germans <laughs> teaching English. So that's the first yeah. mystery solved in this episode. <laughs> Let's go to the next mystery, the blockchain. I'm sure a lot of people have heard about the blockchain, but I'm ready to bet that not many can actually explain what a blockchain is. So why don't you start from there? Yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, for your audience, it will be a little bit easier because I mean, I'm constantly trying to explain what blockchain is in the mass media. And that's a difficult task. You know, you need to use all kinds of metaphors. But if I use the same metaphor, you know, I mean, the way we try to approach this is to say, if what we had in the last 20, 25 years is the Internet of Information that completely remade entire industries like media, tourism or telecommunications, what we have now coming with the blockchain is the Internet of Value. And in the Internet of Information, basically, what has been created was like based on open standards, Um, that allowed the free flow without censorship of information created all these companies we know about today. You now, like the Google, Facebooks, and of course, WordPress, which is one of the key tools that allows us to participate in the Internet of Information. The approach we take is that blockchain is the next wave of a big tsunami that happened 25 years ago. The first wave was the Internet of Information, and then there's eventually a bigger wave coming right now, which is the Internet of Value. And then the Internet of Value is based on blockchain. And what is blockchain? So blockchain, if you know technologies like BitTorrent, is very similar to that. It's based a little bit on that. On BitTorrent, I'm sure most of your users know this, but sometimes when I talk to general audiences, they ask me, what is BitTorrent? You know, so then you have to explain what wow. BitTorrent is. But basically, as you know, BitTorrent is just allows you to share video or music files in a decentralized way with the peer-to-peer system. So when you take a blockchain system like or the original blockchain like of Bitcoin, basically what you have is a peer-to-peer system that is combined with uh, public key cryptography that allows you to share value in a decentralized way. So what does this mean? Because this is a subject that investigated by um, scientists around the world for more than 40 years. And what it means is that if you take, for example, a centralized system, it's the easiest way to understand. So if you take a bank, for example, usually you have 10 euros, and then you spend five euros of the 10 you have, your bank will tell you you have five euros left. And The reason why this works is that basically because you trust your bank that they will be able to protect the database. You trust them also a little bit, maybe in some cases, or the general population does, because you believe that the regulator will make sure that the bank will behave. And you trust them that no one will be able to manipulate the database. In a decentralized system, that's very difficult because how can you get, like, I don't know, five people or 100 people or a million people to agree on something where you have no central party to do that? And that's a little bit... The genius of what Satoshi Nakamoto did when he launched the Bitcoin network on the 3rd of January in 2009 is that he found a way where he combined cryptography, mathematics, and a community system where no central party needed to verify what the database was saying. When we talk about blockchain, it's not exactly a database. It's like a notary system of what happened at a specific point of time. And the token to do this, in, in the case of Bitcoin, is this the Bitcoin token. And this initially, what Satoshi wanted to do was like a peer-to-peer system of money. So basically, he was saying, um, I want to create money, a peer-to-peer money, where no central banks are needed, where no commercial banks are needed, where people would manage the money. That was the initial vision and was a, a vision that excited a lot of people around the world. But what we have been discovering over the years as we were learning about the technology is that it's not only about money. So the applications of, of this technology of what Satoshi Nakamoto created goes far beyond that. And, and that's why we talk about the Internet of Information and the Internet of Value. 
because basically what we see is that in the same way that the Internet of Information has been influencing every aspect of our life in the last 25 years, we believe also that it's potentially the Internet of Value might affect all aspects of our life for the next 10, 25 years, the way we know it. And we do potentially many different business processes, businesses, entire industries in the way we operate. And this goes from industries, from energy, telecommunications, government, really almost everything potentially. We don't know if all these expectations will fulfill themselves, but even if it fulfills like just 1% or 10% of them, that would already be huge for a number of industries around the world. Yeah, I you recently came across this very interesting article by Vinay Gupta called uh, Programmable Blockchains in Context. It's about Ethereum, really, but mm -hmm. it also gives the idea, as you're mentioning, of this fourth revolution that you know will basically transition us from independent SQL databases all around the world, not being able to connect between each other to this blockchain future where the, the flow of data and value is uh, much better and has much less friction. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about applications. You mentioned just a few different scenarios where the blockchain could be used. Are there any blockchain applications right now that are being used? I think the biggest blockchain application that is being used right now, and it's not really an application because it's a centralized solution, is really the speculation market. And with that, I mean the exchanges, basically. I mean, so you have the big exchanges of the world. You have like Coinbase, Kraken, and Bitstamp, and so on, and Bitfinex, etc. Because what I call a business model is when you make money. Yeah. Most business models on the blockchain today don't make money. But this is not a negative from my point of view because it's basically just the technology is so new and we're so early stage that there's really no very concrete use case that is making money in itself or being used massively, except exchanges, which are centralized institutions right now. But I strongly believe that there will be many potential applications that will be created in the future. And some of them, I mean, the ones that I find most interesting to talk about, just because they're the most relatable from an average user point of view, are those related to the internet. So if you take, for example, number of situations we have right now where blockchain technology can help. One is, is basically that people want more privacy and they don't want to have the information to be um, stored in a centralized databases where companies have to protect the data. And the funny thing is also those companies don't want that anymore because for them it's a huge liability. Yeah. And you see financial institutions around the world that are saying right now, well, look, I mean, actually, you know, for KYC, AML, you know, that's know your customer, anti-money laundering laws and stuff like this. The pressure that we're receiving from the regulators right now is so big that they're saying, you know, I prefer not having to deal with this. And if there's one bank that already certified or verified a customer, I want to be able to reuse that verification process for my own purposes. Because if one bank does it, I should be able to trust that bank if they did it right. If not, why well, no one could trust that bank. And that's just one example. I mean, a number of really interesting applications where many people are playing with on, on the digital identity space. And digital identity, I find it really fascinating kind of means if instead of having a centralized identity where I have a government or Facebook or Twitter or any other kind of centralized institution managing all my data, if I own my data because it's distributed in a decentralized database that no one controls and that no one owns, where I control my own data, that by itself can already create a huge amount of new business models around the world. And then following a little bit of privacy examples like you see that more and more people are realizing that you have the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world monetizing or selling basically the information of their customers. 
and it is really nothing for free. So if you're getting a service for free, it's basically you're paying it in another way. And basically the way you're paying it for these big companies is because they monetize your information. And in the future, if we have a decentralized digital identity, that basically could mean that decentralized social media networks could be created where the social media network is not owned by a company that is monetizing your information, but is owned by everyone using it because it's based on a, on a decentralized protocol that would be built on a blockchain like Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain, which are the most relevant public blockchains at the moment. But the same goes for other models. If you take the big disruptors of the last 15 years, which have been the platform businesses, you take the Airbnbs, the Ubers, etc., where they talk about the sharing economy, which is not really a sharing economy, which is something everyone is complaining about, because it's really sharing all the value with the centralized platform, because they bring together the demand and the offer of those markets, and they take out most of the value. But if you do this in a decentralized way, you could have a decentralized Uber, and they're actually prototypes where they're trying to work this out, where they say, oh, no one owns the information, but people still get out the same value. And monetization process of this will be completely different, which in general is also more challenging because open source projects where you don't have a centralized model are more difficult to monetize. But maybe similarly to the way how I see it in WordPress, you won't have huge players, but you have many small players taking value out of the ecosystem, which is maybe better for the overall economy because you have a lot of independent players working on top of that ecosystem. Mm, very interesting. And I think this is perhaps what Matt Malenweg was referring to in the Q&A session at WordCamp Europe. If obviously you weren't there, I think this Q&A session will be briefly available on WordPress.tv so you can check it out. But what I was uh, hearing Matt say was that the precise of this thing that we are in a situation where there are a number of big companies which are monopolizing information. Think about companies like Google, which not only are putting ads everywhere, but are the ones who really know all about us. And people are getting worried in the last few years about all these companies monopolizing all the data and ultimately being the owners of the internet. Exactly. But, and I fully agree with this because I mean, what I find that point really interesting because what we have been seeing in the last couple of years, I mean, in the last 25 years, Initially, the, the internet, I mean, like from the way the DARPA, the US investment from the army was conceptualizing internet, it was like wanted to have a decentralized system to survive, as you know, in a nuclear attack, basically. And But what we have been seeing in the last 20 years is that these big companies, they have been centralizing the internet. Because if you talk especially to young people, I mean, teenagers, more like at least from, from my research, what I see is that they're identifying with the internet with companies like Google, Facebook, or their Apple phone with the applications on, on top of that, which is a really close, close system. So the, even if the internet is open and available to everyone, if most of the people spend their time in those closed gardens, it's much more similar to the AOL vision of the 90s mm -hmm. than, than the free internet that, that we've been aspiring to build um, over the years. And I think blockchain technology offers a path about what this can mean. In the future, I mean, one company I, I think that communicates this really well that I really recommend to check out is blockstack.org. And they are trying to create a decentralized naming DNS and internet system that is completely serverless. Serverless means that you suddenly would have all the websites of the world posted in different computers in a decentralized across the world and with a decentralized naming system. So which basically could mean that you have native digital identity 
native digital payments, which which means you could log into, uh, you just open your PC, you have your um, native digital identity that is completely decentralized. You go through the internet, you never have to identify yourself because you're already identified with the identity you want to be identified with. Your information wouldn't be tracked. There wouldn't be the cookie thing, blah, 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 all the stuff. It would be all anonymous and only the information would be shown what you want to be shown. And whenever you would like to order something, pay for something, you would have a digital wallet um, with whatever kind of token or currency attached to it, where you would automatically pay for it, and it would be sent to your address. So suddenly it would make your life in the in the online world much more seamless. Instead of having to create new accounts for every single every new step, and having to use all kind of softwares to manage all your different passwords, you would just be one which is you or all the different ones you want to be on the net, because obviously you just don't want to be one person like Jean Galère, because maybe when you play paddle, you say, well, you know, when I play paddle, I want to be someone else and I want to play with this identity. And when I do cooking, I want to do this. And when I do e-games, I want to use a different one, whatever, you know, so you can really choose what identity you want to use at any point of time. And if that future, when it comes really true, I think, we could have, again, a more decentralized internet the way it was envisioned in the early days. Mm. That's quite a lot to wrap our heads around, I guess. But <laughs> you do this every day, so... <laughs> <laughs> it does sound exciting, though. So I have a question about the ICOs. Last uh, One of the last episodes, we were discussing ICOs with Ransu Salovara from Token Market. And right while we were recording, they launched the Mysterium VPN ICO which was sold out before we finished recording, actually. It's $75 million in, in money raised mm. by Ethereum. There's also the Air ICO as well. I don't know if that's coming soon or was uh, done recently, which is also for digital identity. Isn't this the same thing being repeated again, where you have companies taking control of specific applications? Yeah, I mean, the ICO market is a really interesting situation. I mean, I think I maybe don't have a mainstream view on this, mm -hmm. but I think we're running into the third big bubble of crypto speculation. I had the opportunity to live yeah, through, through the two last big ones. I mean, I mean, obviously, could, then it depends how you measure it, but I think the last two big ones, I lived through them. And this is just the third one. And which were the first two? The first one was when the price moved from 30 to 220. A Bitcoin price, um, US dollars in 2012. I mean, obviously, there are also the previous ones when it moved to 1 to 30. But I measured a little bit like from this first one, like 30 to 220 when it became more mainstream. Because the previous one from 1 to 30 was merely more like a media-created kind of bubble where Gawker published an article, a lot of people got interested. So it's a different story. But the, um, I think the first one was like the one with Silicon Valley or some people in Silicon Valley really jumped heavily on, onto this. And they pushed the price from this 30 to 220, which coincided a little bit temp uh, in time frame with the Cyprus crisis. Some people argue it's related to the Cyprus crisis. Some people argue it's more related because Wences Casares, the CEO from Zappo, really started pushing and evangelizing for Bitcoin in the Silicon Valley community. And you, you had some of the heavy loaders from the millionaires uh, or billionaires in Silicon Valley that started buying the stuff. So that was the first one. And the second one was really when you had the price movement, September 2013 to December 2013, it moved from 100 to 1,200 US dollars. And then, as you remember, like it went all the way down from that price two years ago, all the way down to 200. And then from 200, now all the way to 3,000, which was the maximum price. 
and, and that's what I call the three big speculative bubbles of the crypto community. So we are in the third one right now. We don't know really how long it will last. And one of the reasons why um, these ICOs are making so much money is, is just because one thing that everyone has to remember is that many of these crypto enthusiasts um, that invested into Ethereum made a lot of money with Bitcoin. Then then they made a lot of money with Ethereum. And when we talk about a lot of money, just to give you an example, one of my friends, he invested in the initial ICO from Ethereum, which is where everyone is building their solutions on right now. I think he invested like 30,000 US dollars. And one year later, because the Ethereum ICO was closed for one year, you couldn't sell your, your tokens. He sold it and made seven times profit on it, which is great. But if he would have hold those $30,000 up to today, he would have around 80 million US dollars. So, so you have to imagine like those heavy holders of um, initial crypto ethers from the beginning, they're extremely wealthy today. They have an incredible amount of wealth and they're spending this wealth on all these ICOs. Um, because, I mean, they're so wealthy that just putting 100,000 was like for me going to buy a baguette. Well, it's the same level of complexity for them. And it's really people that believe strongly in the future of a decentralized economy. Uh, and I think a big representation of this is Consensus, which is one of the big companies that has created a big ecosystem. And they're very heavily pushing for this decentralized ecosystem. Having said this, this is like the early adapter kind of approach. But the majority of people, from my point of view, are speculators. Because, I mean, a lot of people that I talk with, they just say, oh, yeah, I just bought this latest token. I tried to get in. And they don't even know what they are about. The, the only thing they wait is for the price to double or, or triple, whatever. And then they sell. And that's it. So you get into this whole tulip mania kind of situation, like 1720. I don't know if you know the tulip mania. Yep. I was actually in Amsterdam a few yeah last month, I think. And I went to the tulip garden and read all about it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that's a very nice story. And for me, you know, what, what we're seeing right now, it's really exciting because we are living a, a life tulip mania, real time. And from my point of view, I've been always interested in Bitcoin or blockchain for fundamental reasons, because I really think you can create amazing businesses. But what I'm really learning is, is that the speculative aspect and the willingness of, or the interest of people to gamble in life is huge. It's much bigger than the fundamental aspect, <laughs> and, and <laughs> which is okay. I mean, I don't want to talk it down. I mean, I think what is really exciting about how this token economy has been created is that it allowed, I mean, because initially the only people that have been able to create protocols have been governments with, through the military usually or big companies. You know, they, they were the only people that had the resources. And that's why we talk about the Internet of Information, because what we say is like if you take HTTP, SMTP, those protocols, they took no value from the whole Internet of Information. They had been created by companies or by, by governments, but the, all the value was then distributed by these companies creating applications. Now in this, in this token economy, you suddenly have a model where the investment order in decentralized protocols has been democratized because everyone can participate in that decentralized economy and say, I want to create these protocols because in reality, centralized companies, they have no incentive to do that, not even governments. But if the people have an incentive to do that, they say, we want to create it, they can do it. And this is really huge. Then I think, having said, this is the benefit, I think like considering that we're part of this big um, speculative bubble, most of the long-time holders that I know from this market have sold the majority of the positions by now. 
And if they keep something, it's just because they have a long-term position. Like long-term position, I call it like five, 10 years position where they say, I keep 10, 20% of my position and will never sell it until I, I really think it's so high now that I need to sell it or whatever. But they don't think the moment has come, some of them. But the traders I know, they sold like 99% of the positions. This doesn't mean that the price will drop from now. But what I see is that most people that have been in this market for a long time enough left the market. And it seems to be that the people that are in the market are the people that, that are more new into the crypto space or what they call the knobs, like people that, that are like the new hot money waiting to sell the potato to the next, the hot potato to the next guy. And the thing is, is this is going back a little bit to the argument I was making before, is that, well, there are no real applications. And if you really want these tokens to have value, I mean, especially the access tokens or the decentralized token uh, applications or the dApps, that's what, how they call it, where you really have this token as a fuel for the system to run, there needs to be demand for that token because it has a real demand, because it's useful in itself. And that then will create a base price for that application. And this is not really happening because most people buying all these things are just buying it for speculative purposes, which is normal because it's really difficult to create these, these solutions. And what I think might happen, or many people in my environment seem to think that, is that there might just be a big burst, any or a bubble burst, any point of time as it did in the past, and then the market might just lose 80% again. So basically what I'm trying to say with all this is that the reason why ICOs have been going up heavily and crazy like the Bancor ICO, where they raised 170 million in a couple of hours, is just because you have an enormous amount of people that are incredibly wealthy, and not necessarily have an incredible amount of experience managing their own wealth, you know, which is a difficult situation. If you never had one by yourself, you suddenly feel rich. So as long as these people feel rich, they will be feeling like investing into these kind of things, speculating with these kind of things. But having lived through the last two bubbles, when the people feel poor, the situation changes dramatically. Suddenly they feel poor and they will not be willing to invest as much because prices won't be that high anymore. And it will be much more difficult to raise money. And maybe the most interesting projects will be born at that moment. And maybe also the best moments to invest will be at that moment because that's what will create the real solutions. I mean, I had the opportunity to participate in a little bit in the last internet bubble, like in, in, in 99. I just left it for one year or one and a half years before it did burst. And I think the most interesting solutions really were created after that. Or like the strongest companies survived that period, but most of them, they died. Even if their vision or the, what they tried to achieve was right, but they didn't implement that. And implementation is everything. Execution is everything. Ideas are not really useful or don't have a lot of value. What has value is your capacity to implement a vision. Hmm. Lots of food for thought here, <laughs> <laughs> especially for those of us who have invested. About the bubbles, though, I think generally there has been this uptrend and like in the tulip mania, the price just shot up and then fell back what we would call now the normal price of tulips but in the bitcoin space like there were these ups and downs but if you take the general trend it was always going up and so i guess people who bought when it was really cheap you would say they did the most sensible thing to like sell when it was at a thousand or two thousand from my non-experienced view i don't see it as something Really negative. I think it just makes sense that they would sell if they went in when it was low. And hence, if people go in now, they would sell when it's like maybe 8,000, 10,000, you know? And I agree, but I think 
it, it might go to 8,000 or 10,000. But I think what is fundamental, I mean, like from an investment point of view, I think if you have many of the strong hands from the past that sold, which is the perception I get from the market, the question is how much longer will the new investors be willing to hold their positions? Because it's all a game of hot potatoes. Because you always need a new guy to buy. And the willingness, I think, to buy is very strong. I still see it. But it's very difficult to assess, you know, because it might just go to 3,000, it might go to 5,000, it might go to 8,000 or 10,000. We don't know. But then it's exactly as you say, for someone who has been holding his position since, and I know people like that that have been holding the position since the price was at 200, they say the risk right now of not selling is much higher than the, than the risk of keep on holding to this. And then it all depends, you know, I mean, portfolio is distributed. I mean, if you're holding suddenly 50% of your wealth in crypto, and if the price drops 80%, well, that's a bad idea to do that. If you're holding 1%, well, then maybe it doesn't matter that much, you know, if you just hold it out, if you think it might hold out to 5,000, 8,000, whatever, well, you just do it. It doesn't matter. On your overall portfolio, the upside is much better than the downside, even if the downside happens. But what I've seen in the past is that People do really crazy stuff where like they take a mortgage, they take credit <laughs> or, or they suddenly have a majority of the position in crypto and then suddenly that position is wiped out. And in this market hasn't been really professional because professional investors haven't been paying attention to it in the last years as much, but increasingly they're paying more attention and everyone loves to make quick, easy money, you know, and that's a problem, you know, so that attracts more people that want to make easy, quick money. So it's a psychological thing that is really difficult to assess. But the main input I take is that if those people that have been speculating long time with this are leaving the market, that's what, for me personally, that gets me really concerned if I, if I would have a position right now, you know, um, which it might just go up to 5,000, might go up to 100,000. I don't know. That there's a moment where the risk reward ratio is just not stable anymore. And that really depends on your overall position. Mm. Yeah, my circle of acquaintances in this space who tend to be like newer investors. I think it really boils down to the fact that one, it's the only thing right now which can give you quick returns in a big way, you know? So it's like you put in a small percentage of your wealth and you can make millions as, as you illustrated perfectly with your previous example of that friend who had 30,000 invested. Mm. I don't think there's anything else in the world in the past five, 10 years where you could make that kind of money so quickly. I don't know if, I mean, maybe in Tulip, in, in the Tulip mania or other situations, but I think there have been very few situations in the history of the world yeah. where you had this, that's why this is so interesting because I mean, it's, it's really absurd. I think the problem is, is also like for anyone who doesn't have experience in having wealth or managing wealth or in a family where this has happened, where like wealth had been managed, wealth preservation is an extremely complicated and long-term process and and this is like you know i think for me it's like winning lottery tickets you know you know that most people that win lottery tickets they usually kind of waste apparently all their money after a couple of years and they they're poor again so and i think it really misplaces a lot of the focus of what is interesting about blockchain because you have people playing this game of trying to get rich well quick and i think you know also in our society and this is not a popular message but there's an, an obsession with this question about getting rich, getting wealthy, and then having the relaxed life. And from my point of view, there's a lack of self-awareness, learning to learn about yourself, learning to engage with the environment. Because if you think about it in a broader way, the only thing we have here is 
We are like a small ant population on planet Earth of 7 billion people. That is part of this galaxy in Milky Way, and there are another loads of billions of other galaxies. So really insignificant in the broader schemes of things. So some of my friends, the main purpose in life is really to speculate and make money, and they're completely happy with it, and I completely respect that. But from my point of view, what is more more interesting for me is what can we create of value in this world? This is we have a limited time frame where we can share time with our loved ones and everyone here. Let's try to have a good time. Let's try to enjoy this time. But let's try also to create something good. Because for me, the whole speculative thing is interesting. Of course, it will allow you to realize some of your dreams. But quick, hot money can also be lost very quickly in very in a very hot way. So I don't think it's the cleverest way to approach it unless you have a very special character. I know some of those special characters. I mean, one of them is a previous poker player. So he really has experience about playing the poker game of life. And he's playing the poker game of the crypto market now. But I think some of the best investors are more philosophers than, than speculators. And usually, to those pure speculators, I think on the mid-long-term run, they get completely wiped out. I think you need to have self-awareness is the most important question, I think, for speculating, but I think for many aspects in life. And I think Satoshi Nakamoto, what he tried to do with Bitcoin, was going in that direction. And what Ethereum is doing, what Vitalik Buterin is doing, and many people in the core community from Ethereum, what they're trying to do, goes into that direction. The whole speculative element of it is just a tool that helps them to realize their dream of a decentralized economy, which is great. But they're not doing this to make money. They're doing this to change the world for better. Personally, it's what motivates me for the open source community. It's what motivates me for WordPress and it's what motivates me for blockchain also. Mm. So going back to my second point that I see yeah. in my circle of friends, I think the second point is actually they read about this. They tried to inform themselves as much as they could and perhaps read your book as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they decide like, this is a great thing. I want to support it. How can I support it? And I think the most obvious thing for maybe people who don't know enough but like the, the most obvious thing is to invest in things like bitcoin in order if you believe in the future of cryptocurrencies and the blockchain and so i think many people are investing for that purpose as well but one other thing that i would mention is that sometimes like imagine people who are into wordpress in the beginning right i think i went in, in the second wave like kind of 2006 People back then who would know WordPress and believed in the future of open source CMSs, you know, this was not clear back then. Back then, all the agencies were using closed systems of CMSs. Mm. So this was still a new thing. There was no guarantee that's going to work. But people like me believed uh, that WordPress would be the most popular CMS in the future and started selling it to their clients. And so there's a, a window where you see the strong growth. You kind of realize that this is going to be big. And then you realize how you can make money from it. In this case, by building a theme business, a plugin business, or a service-related business tied to WordPress. And there's kind of this window of a few years when I used to go just meet anyone and tell them, if you know how to code, just make a plugin. You're almost guaranteed to make money given the current market, the growth in WordPress and the demand for plugins and the current offering of subpar plugins that there were. Now it's different. Now it's much more competitive. So it's not a guaranteed thing at all. But I've seen many people who I 
like encouraged to do plugins really go and do it very successfully even though they had no special talent that like would distinguish them from anyone else it's just being at the right time i think knowledge of a specific market can give you that kind of magic touch where you'd know that if i invest right now i'm gonna make money almost 100 percent but it seems that that you disagree with this. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I agree on your approach, but then of course, I mean, not me and not you probably. We can we cannot see the future. I might just be completely wrong. I might be right, but it doesn't really matter if I'm wrong or right. I mean, the only thing that matters, or if you're wrong or right, I think the only thing that matters is really on average, as you play the game of life, <laughs> is um, what is your average rate, and that's the only thing that matters. But I can just tell you what the long-term investors or people that have been in the market for a while, what they think or what I have the impression, what they think and what is happening right now for me. This is more of a speculative element to it. So one of the maybe dilemmas that people, maybe just me, I'm seeing here is that you're someone who really supports and believes in the future of blockchain, else you wouldn't be doing what you do. Mm. But on the other hand, you're very cautious on the kind of investing in these cryptocurrencies. And going back to what I said about new investors who feel that they want to invest in this new technology because they believe in this future. I guess my question would be, what can they do to support and make this idea a reality in the future? Yeah, well, I think it's very similar to the WordPress world. I mean, and you have much more experience in the WordPress world because you started earlier than me at least in the business part of WordPress, but it's really getting involved in the community. Then you have to choose a community, you know, because you have the Bitcoin community, you have the Ethereum community, you even have other communities, like you have hybrid blockchains, you have private blockchains. I think there's a general approach about trying to learn, and that's what we try to do with our book. It's like, okay, what are the applications of this? How does the technology work? Let's really help people to understand the, the fundamentals of this, and then really try to read and learn as much as possible. But honestly, most of the people, I mean, the people doing that, from what I see, is the minority. I know you're a guy who really likes to think long-term and you're a big thinker, so you may be in a different situation. But what I see mostly around the market, I mean, even the other day, I was going to the WordPress, I was meeting some people at the airport here in Madrid. Mm -hmm. They were telling me, oh, yeah, we have a group of friends and one of them, he really knows about crypto stuff. We just put money in there and we invest, you know, I mean, he invested money mm -hmm. and then he told me just what I told you before. Yeah, we invested into this ICO, the one that wastes 170 million. And then I said, you invested in that. What does it do? And he said, well, I have no idea what it does. We just <laughs> sell. <laughs> we just sell when it doubles the price. End of story, you know. So I think this is a more general trend, you know, because mm. because understanding how this works takes up an incredible amount of time and it insight and even, you know, you have to kind of forget everything you know and then start building from scratch your knowledge of what decentralization means to try to understand, you know? Because if you try to apply like the previous centralized models that you know about, I mean, if you come from the WordPress community, it's more easy because I think in the WordPress community, open source projects, you know, you're living decentralization in a real way already. But most people don't do that. So they don't know that. Yeah. But it's really building it then from scratch and say, oh, how could the world work then? You know, and, and that's really fascinating. And, but I see few people approaching it from that way. I mean, most people, I think they say, well, I'll look, I mean, and this, I can really loads of cash in a really quick way. They get into a FOMO situation, fear of missing out. And then it's just like, well, look, I need to be here, you know, because if this really goes from 2000 to 10,000, 
that's five times the money. I mean, and, and then Bitcoin is, is just a conservative bet on this whole thing because Bitcoin hasn't been going up as crazy. Some of these crypto tokens, they've been going up like 2,000 times. I mean, that's much crazier, you know? So if you invested in, into any of these crazy valueless tokens at the beginning of this year, yep. you did really, really well now. <laughs> and that's why compared to the tulip mania or to big speculative bubble, because you know, you get into this whole situation where everyone's just thinking, oh no, I'm missing out, I'm missing out, I'm missing out. Understanding nothing because they have no time to understand because everyone is, and your mental mode is completely different when you invest it into something for fundamental reasons, because you believe in the technology and you want to do it as you did for WordPress, because that's a slow process. You couldn't really make a fortune just because you invested into some WordPress thing and two months later you were super wealthy. Yeah. It didn't happen that way. You had to work a little bit and you needed to do a number of things that were not easy before you made any money even, before you made your first $10, you know? Yep. Um, and then slowly, slowly over time, you probably started making more and more. And then at the end, you had ended up having a business, which is great. This has nothing of this. You know, if you just come in and wait to sell, it's really difficult. And then you have many of your people invest in, in a very inexperienced way. They have no stock exchange experience, no investment experience at all. So it becomes a big lottery where everyone is distributing money between themselves with no real business model supporting it for the time being, which doesn't mean it will not happen in the future. But it might not happen in such a way that all these people will be holding it all this period and without a price collapsing in the middle. So that's my bet. I might be completely wrong. But what might happen, you know, the price might go to 10,000 and then drop 80% and go to 2,000, mm -hmm. which is still a super high price if you want, or it might just go to 3,000, 3,500, and then drop to 1,000 or 700, whatever. I don't know. I mean, clearly the Bitcoin price and the, and the crypto space is in an uptrend. And usually the price in an uptrend is follow the trend. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> but if the price breaks the 1,100 line, if it breaks the 750 line, which is a big way off, well, then you will have that 80% drop very closely. And then at the same time, everyone is expecting this drop, or many people are expecting this drop. So it might just not drop as much because many people are waiting below to buy up these drops. We will have to see, you know. I mean, often, you know, these big drops, they come together with a big drop in confidence. I remember the second bubble, you had the Chinese government mm -hmm. forbidding some things for the exchanges. And then people got concerned and the price started dropping and stuff like this. You had the same for Ethereum last year. And they had to doubt and the price dropped heavily. Yeah. And then it all went up again. So you have these big confidence killers, you know, that help you to, for the price to drop. It's not just like price doesn't drop by itself. But these things happen because this technology is incredibly immature. I mean, even Vitalik Buterin says about Ethereum that it's an alpha product. Hmm. So they completely know that this is not a functional product. So, and anything can happen. And you can really lose millions just by doing stupid mistakes. I mean, stupid mistakes just because the technology is not mature yet. Programming smart contracts. Because um, it's just still um, on the micro level, there's some micro elements you need to know to not make these mistakes. So all these kind of things can happen. Or anything can happen where, where these things happen. So I think if you combine all those things... For me, it's not such a crazy proposal to say, oh, look, the price might drop heavily. 
especially if you consider that the long-term holders have been selling. Mm. We have a very immature technology, short-term, I'm not saying long-term, and just these things need to be built up built up, uh, and improved. But those speculative investors, they're not doing this for fundamental reasons. They're just doing it because they think someone else will buy it at a later stage at a higher price. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been seeing a lot of that. And, you know, you have companies like, I don't want to say they're bad, but I was at the MoneyConf convention in Madrid mm -hmm. and there was the founder of eToro and it was just, you know, almost encouraging everyone there to just join his platform and start investing in Ethereum and Bitcoin just because it's going up. In fact, one of the other panelists just intervened and said like, hey, I'm sorry to butt in, but you, you shouldn't be talking in this way. You know, at least these people who are attending this conference are probably more educated than ge the general public. Absolutely. But if you're advertising to the general public in this manner, it's almost borderline unethical. Absolutely. As you mentioned, the alpha stage of Ethereum last, I think even in terms of governance, like what we saw with the DAO, what happens when a smart contract uh, goes bad, you know? We, we don't really know if people will intervene or not. When the, when the DAO was hacked, was it the right thing to, you know, make a fork or not? There are all these issues. You know, we're, we're creating precedents here, so it's not clear what the future will hold for in store for us. So I think that the bottom line is that nobody can even guess what the price will be next year, five years from now or 10 years from now. I fully agree on everything you just said. And I think I really hope and I w really want to believe that there's a long term future for, for, for the crypto space and the blockchain space. I mean, I'm spending almost all my professional career on this right now, mm -hmm. but you need to have real solutions and we need to be pragmatists and we need to be what I suspect that might happen is that there will be a big downturn, you know, because now we're in the hype of expectations. I get contacted every day by people all over the place because I work professionally in this space that want to do something and everything, you know, whatever you want. Similar to the 98, 99 boom bubble I lived previously. And then I had to go through, which is my biggest regret of my life or one of my biggest regrets. <laughs> you know, I, I remember in 2001, I left the market because there was really no work in the internet space. It was really difficult mm. because there was no money there. I mean, no one wanted to pay you and I wanted to have a job at the time, blah, blah, blah. So I went into the traditional strategy consulting, which I hated, <laughs> <laughs> but I did it. And, you know, looking back, I think, oh man, why did you not hold on to it? You could have gotten one of these jobs where they just pay you 500 euros or whatever they would have paid at the time. And instead of thinking about the money, I could have thought long term. I didn't think long term. I thought, oh, no, I want to have one of those cool jobs like all my other friends. They have cool jobs. I will be a loser because I will just make a miserable salary and everyone else will be going to parties and traveling around the world. And I will not be able to do any of that. And I regretted that. You know, I really missed the Internet times because I loved the Internet, what we were doing. In 98, 99, 2000, I really loved it. And in the blockchain, I think we might just get into the situation again where you have a big drop of interest again, you know, from the general market come, mm -hmm. going together with the price drop. And this time I will hold on to it, you know, I will not drop the ball <laughs> because I really think um, there's some serious business that can be done here. But more than business, the way I mean it is there's some amazing things that can be done, you know. And I think for people like me, you know, I'm, I'm almost 42 years old. I have another 40 years to live. 
And in those 40 years, I hope in the next 10, 20, that I will have the opportunity to participate in some amazing things and to be able to be proud about them and look back and say, look, I really participated in that. It was a lot of fun and we did some amazing stuff that is really interesting and good for the world. And I think there's some really promising solutions in the decentralized ecosystem that give a hint of what that can be. And one of the books I like to recommend is um, One for Many from D. Hawk. It was written in the late 80s about what decentralization means. He was one of the founders of Visa, and Visa was created in a very decentralized way. And there he explains the philosophy about how organizational structures influence our way of life, influence influence our the structure of the modern life, and how decentralized structures can help to improve the quality of life of people. And I hope that we will be able to achieve something like this over time. Excellent. Just two final questions for you. I'm sure many of our listeners are really interested how they can get involved in this new industry that, that's brewing up. And secondly, I'd like you to recommend some books or resources that you know people who have piqued their interest in this podcast can follow up with reading. Let me tell you though, I've been actually, I got interested in this space around two years ago, and I can't tell you how many hours I spent just going through books. It's an infinite maze. And you might start out reading about Bitcoin and like two months later, you're reading about anarchism and all the political stuff. It's it's crazy. Yeah. So I exercise caution if you do get into this space. But yeah, I mean, how did you get into the blockchain space? Are there any requirements? Like, do you have to be a programmer or something else? You know, how can people do this professionally? And what are the resources that you would recommend for people who want to learn more? Yeah, I'm not a programmer. I'm a business guy. And I really struggled to get into this market, you know, because initially um, this was only driven by programmers and programmers, they would only hire programmers. So it would be yeah. a really, really funny situation where you say, I really want to work on this. And a lot of people would not be interested, you know. But what has been happening in the last two years is that all these programmers creating these companies or all these investors doing these kind of things, they realize, oh, they, I need legal people, I need finance people, I need marketing people, I need customer support, I need all kinds of people, you know? But mm-hmm. they need these people to have a basic general understanding of what they're doing, of what, of what kind of environment they're working in, you know? So I think it's very similar. You know, I was talking to the WordPress community, I was talking to, to Alexander from, from Managed WP, they got acquired by GoDaddy last year. Yep. And he was telling me, look, I mean, before we got acquired, we were 17 people in Managed, Managed WP. And now we hired another 23 people in the last 12 months. And this is possible. And we've been picking these people mainly from the WordPress community in Belgrade or Serbia, you know. Mm -hmm. And so just being at the right place with the right people, you know, these kind of opportunities start popping up. For me, initially, I really had a very hard time getting into the market. When I say hard time, like maybe two years, like really difficult space because it was a very technical space. And if you are not a programmer, it was difficult to get in. I got in, but it was difficult. And now it's like nonstop. I have all kinds of opportunities all the time. You know, there's like this one opportunity per week. I'm also a little bit well known in the Spanish speaking market right now. So that also helps, of course, because I've been doing this for years now. But I think it's really follow your passion, get into this. There's no requirements. You don't need to know anything. You just need to be a passionate person that wants to learn, that has an open mind and wants to enjoy life and fulfill yourself as a person. And this is a great place to try this out. So 
if you need to learn to program, you can learn to program. Uh, I mean, there's no problem about that. I mean, I don't know how to program, but I know the people that know that learned it from scratch in the last couple of years, they had great success doing that too. So it's just really just exploring your biggest interests and and jump in and learn, go to meetups. I think it's it's extremely important to hang out with people and talk with people and get connected and, t- and try to help in any possible way you can. Everyone has a skill that can create value. I mean, and, and as I was telling you before, we created this kind of umbrella brand for Spain, which is called Blockchain España, mm-hmm. Blockchain Spain. And well, all kind of people that get involved there. We need all kind of people because we want to create blo- a blockchain hub in Spain. So, yeah. So, so I think, um, and then resources, um, you know, I mean, one of the most famous ones in English is Coindesk.com. There you can read a lot about the news, but just, just start digging in from whatever kind of thing that interests you and then start follow the trail from there. Because as you go through the internet, I read a lot of white papers. I love reading white papers. And so that helps a lot. If you speak Spanish, then of course I would recommend you our book too, um, which is called Blockchain. Industrial Revolution of the Internet. And this one book from Andreas Antonopoulos, which is one of the big guys in the Bitcoin space, that is really good, which is called Mastering Bitcoin. Then you have our graphic novel, which we created, which is Bitcoin, The Hunt for Satoshi Nakamoto. One for many, which I already mentioned to you from DHOC. If you really want to understand decentralization, I would recommend that a lot. And then there's another great book, which is called Crypto from Stephen Levi. He's a really famous Silicon Valley writer kind of type. Mm-hmm. In crypto, he describes the history of cryptography, which is really, really interesting because you can really go back to the times of the late 60s where Diffie-Hellman, which are two cryptographers from Stanford, um, created public key cryptography. And how they, I mean, this is really amazing, how they envisioned in the 70s that a digital world would need more privacy and that cryptography would, would be able to provide that and how cryptography would help to empower e-commerce across the world. I mean, in these guys, they had like incredible visions about the future. And then when you start following this trail, starting with cryptography in the 70s with Diffie Hellman, you see a whole trail that goes all the way from the 70s to RSA in the late 70s to David Chaum with decentralized uh, anonymous voting protocol how he created a decentralized kind of digital money with DigiCash in the 90s, which was a big theme in the 90s. How Nick Zawa created the concept of smart contracts in the 90s. How the cypherpunks were created in the early 90s in Silicon Valley with the objective of creating the crypto anarchist view of the world that really encouraged a lot of people later to create some of the things that would be predecessors of Bitcoin. So there's a whole historic trail you can follow back with strong philosophic, philosophical pillars about how they wanted to create a better world by creating these kind of technologies. And this is really, really interesting. And some of those hints, you can see them in this book from Crypto from Stephen Levi. I mean, there's really one interesting chapter about how Netscape, you know, this um, browser from the 90s that Mark Andreessen created together with this other guy, I don't remember his name anymore, got hacked, you know, and then how Mark Andreessen got really excited about Bitcoin in the last three years. And you see all these interconnections because the same people that were involved in this in one way or another in the 90s later get involved again and everything starts making more sense because this is not something that was created overnight in one day. There's a long history of 40 years of development that created this whole momentum for this to exist today. Hmm. Well, I did mention earlier that this is a big rabbit hole. So (laughs) (laughs) with all the things you just mentioned, I think 
you gave a great idea <laughs> of how deep this can go. <laughs> it, it is really exciting. It is, I mean, yeah. in our book, you know, because I had the opportunity to, to write a chapter about hacktivism and crypto anarchy. It's really interesting when you go back in time, you see a red line, you know, over time. And that really gives you vision, you know. It puts things into perspective. It takes you out of this speculative momentum where we are right now and puts things into perspective in time and say, I mean, I think the conclusion I get to is the same as you're getting to. This is huge. Okay, this is huge. Mm -hmm. But then from an investment point of view, if this will drop 80%, we'll continue with it, of course, but I don't want to hold 50% of my position into this or whatever percent because it will not be a straight line. It will be, as you will see over history, it is a line with many, many curves <laughs> and and that's it. That's how life goes, and and you need to have a vision, and that's how what it means. I think, from my point of view, to learn to sail through life independently is to have your own ideas. Yeah, I think whether one invests or not, I think in terms of money, that's uh, each each person's prerogative, and depending on their character, amount of money that they have, and whatever. But for sure, I think you'd agree with me that. Everyone should really invest some time in learning about this new technology because I think the way things are going, a revolution will take place and many of the things that we spoke about will be part of this revolution. Exactly. And this is exactly the kind of attitude, at least from my point of view, I try to encourage us learn about this. I mean, if you buy one, two, five, ten bitcoins or whatever cryptocurrency you want to buy, of course, that's great because then you can't you can start playing around with it. You can have a wallet, you can start sending it to friends, you can see how this works, and that's really interesting. And, and I think that's important to do that too. From my point of view, it's, I think it's really important to, if you want to participate in creating this future, I think it's important to get into it for the right reasons, at least what I think are some of the valid reasons to participate in this. Yeah, I think people with my kind of character, if we don't have something invested in, in something, we won't be motivated enough to keep reading. Mm. I mean, just having some Bitcoin, I was motivated to go to even WordCamp Europe. You know, I was just mentioning it to people and I ended up meeting a ton of people who had investments or had made a lot of money or had lost a lot of money. And it was super interesting to get a much wider view of where things are and, you know, other people's experiences. And if I hadn't taken the time to learn and, you know, put some small investment in this, I wouldn't have been motivated to do that. Absolutely. So I think, yeah, it's good to participate for sure. So I think we can wrap this up. Uh, I think there's a lot of information packed into this episode. I'm going to personally go, as soon as we publish it, I'm going to listen to this again, maybe, <laughs> maybe twice. <laughs> I think you you definitely made my job very hard to make the show notes for this one because you mentioned so many things. But yeah, I definitely recommend people to have a look at your new book. I think you mentioned that it's in Spanish only, right? It's in Spanish only for the time being, yes. Yeah. But probably with all the success, it will end up being translated to English. Then. I hope so. We're, we're looking into it, but we've been like busy, crazy just with the Spanish media because we're talking to Spanish media every week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but once we, it gets a little bit quieter, um, I will try to, to see if we can get any English-speaking publishers. Excellent. And to wrap things off, uh, how can people get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me at, via Twitter 
at Alex Parkshad, which I mean maybe you can write it into the show notes with my with my very difficult last name. <laughs> and also via LinkedIn, if they want to, they can find me easily there. And or you can contact me via the book email, which is libro, which is book in Spanish, blockchain at gmail.com. Anyone can write me an email that I usually quite quick in, in replying emails also. Excellent. Uh, thank you very much, Alex. Yeah, thank you very much, John, for taking time. And I hope next time we can also talk about Pixel Rockstar whenever you, whenever you want. For sure. Till the next one. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.